Continuing in our series, Beyond the Natural, uh, we have one more segment after today. Uh, a theologian was asked, what is the hardest subject for you to speak about? And he said, the hardest subject for me to speak about is hell. You know, we go to church and, and we want to be uplifted and we want to be encouraged. But what we know is that God is good in all of his ways and, and everything he does. It's, it's so not a subject that people don't want to speak about or that a lot of preachers don't speak about that a third to a half of churchgoers, people that go to church every Sunday, do not even believe in a physical hell. The New Testament itself references hell 162 times. And Jesus mentions hell over 70 times in the New Testament. So it is certainly something that is real. Um, it's certainly something that is descriptive. And it's certainly something that God wants us to know about. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20. Today, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 11 and read down to verse 15. And the word of God says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Father, we, we come to you humbling, asking you to reveal truths to us. Th those subjects that we, we don't want to talk about, but we need to know. We thank you for all that is in your word, Lord, all that you reveal about yourself about who you are, and even this subject where we come to recognize the grace and mercy that you showered on us, those, the ones that you've opened their eyes, Lord. So we ask that you would have your way this day, that you would do a work deep down in our hearts, Lord, and all that is said and done is glorifying to you that truth be heard 
and accepted. And that truth changes us forever in who you are and who we are in you and the things that you've called us to do. We lay our petitions before you, thanking you, knowing that you will meet each one of us where we are. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a courtroom before, whether it be going to court for a tra traffic violation or even going to court for a felony, maybe even going to court for jury duty. But whenever we enter a place where there is a judge and that judge is going to determine the outcome on your life, it is a very sobering time. Recognizing that whatever is going on in my life is going to be disrupted or set by another individual. And uh, when we think, uh, when we speak about hell, it's something that we don't want to talk about. Because even if we're in trouble, there's always a glimmer of hope. There's always something else that can happen. There's an appeal. Um, there is a leniency maybe there. It's not the final thing, but, but when we're talking about hell, it's, it's final. It's the point of, of no return. It said in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. When, when we're speaking about a throne, now we're not only speaking about a judge, but we're speaking about a king. In this instance, we're speaking about the king. And whether you've been in traffic court and the judge is sitting there and he's kind of behind more of a desk or a, a small uh, thing, but, but then when it's serious trouble, he, he's sitting up high, and, and the room is, is set up different. So just imagine for a moment seeing a great white throne standing before it and recognizing that it is eternity that we're speaking about and that there's, there's no place to run, there's no place to hide, that this is, this is it. Not many preachers speak about hell anymore. Why? Because, because it is emotionally difficult. It's, it's something that we would choose not to address. A, a long time ago, a couple of hundred years ago, preaching was very much fire and brimstone, damnation. 
it, it really spoke to man is really, really bad. God is really, really mad. And uh, in about the 19th century, that started to change. Man was really not all that bad. As a matter of fact, he was kind of good. And, and God wasn't really all that mad. You, that, that's, a, that's a whole lot easier for us to digest. We, um, we have a deep sentiment towards people because, because we are people. And, and not only are we people, we know that we are people that have been sinful. And, and even those that are saved, we still recognize our shortcomings. So, so for us to, to not address this, this subject, uh, seems a lot easier. And, and then what we end up doing a lot of times is just changing the narrative to make it more comfortable for us. I, I've heard people say things like, my God is a God of love. And, and because he's a God of love, he cannot condemn anyone to hell for eternity. That, that, that just wouldn't be right. Matter of fact, there is no hell. There's people sitting here right now that are struggling with what we're speaking about. And, and then a whole theology grew out of that. Like, well, if there is a hell, and, and yes, there are bad people, and, and they should be punished, um, God punished them for a season. And, and, and there's a theology of annihilation. So, so they're punished for this season, and then they just kind of disappear. But to punish someone for eternity, that couldn't be. What kind of God are we talking about that would do something like that? What we have to recognize is God is perfect in everything he does. And because these things don't add up in our minds and how this could be does not make God any less perfect, does not make what he's doing, who are we to question those things? But Jesus did not only reference hell, but he described it in many verses in the Bible. And Luke chapter 16, verse 23, calls it a place of eternal torment. And Mark 9, 43 says it's an unquenchable fire. And Mark chapter 9, 48 says where the worm does not die. And in Matthew 13, 40, Two, he says there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, chapter 30, he says it's a place of outer darkness. That this is real, and, and this is the reality that some are going to face. And, and, and although that's not comfortable, we have to understand that God being perfect, God is holy, God is 
also a judge. And he will execute judgment properly. See, see, because he's a perfect judge and has the perfect record. See, we're not used to things being perfect. So when we hear that, we think of, well, even in our own life, if we have a judge that does not perfectly execute the law, which no, no judge actually can, but if we have a corrupt judge, what, what would a corrupt judge do? You can, you can pay him or he has other things that motivates why he's doing what he's doing on someone else's life. But, but God is perfect. So even when we speak about people going to hell, there is not going to be the same punishment for everyone. There are degrees of punishment. It says in in verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead and who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Small and great, young and old, low and high, poor and rich, All unbelievers will stand before the throne. All unbelievers will stand before the judge, and the judge is Jesus Christ. And there will be degrees of punishment for every sinner. Every sinner will be held accountable for what they did with the truth that they heard in their lives. Luke 12 has a story about a master giving stewardship to a servant. And that servant, because the master took a long time to come, started to take advantage of his position, do whatever he wanted to, even beat the other servants. And it it says in, in verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating he he knew what was required of him but he he didn't do it so because of that he received a severe beating but the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive light beating. Everyone to whom much is given or him of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So, so in, in other words, not everyone has the same Opportunities, not everyone um, is in the same position, but God being perfect in the way he will execute 
judgment has a perfect record and will take each case on its own merits. And there will be differences depending on the person. It says in Romans 2, starting at chapter verse, uh, starting at verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who have, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, he and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. These are hard things to, to, to think about. Like, like God, like why, why hell? One thing we have to recognize is, is God's holiness. We have to recognize man's depravity. Man's wickedness and, and sin. So often when we think of these things, we act like it's not that big of a deal. But it is. Hell is a, a witness to the righteousness of God. Hell is a witness to his righteous character. He must judge sin. God will judge sin or he would not be God. He would not be perfect. Hell is a witness to man's responsibility. God made you in his image. You, you're, not, you're not a robot. You're not a help to, helpless victim. You're a creature that he made able to make choices. God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves by rejecting the Savior. It says in John 3, starting at verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And, and a lot of times that's where we, we stop. But if you continue to read on, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Least his works should be exposed. People want to do things in the darkness, but God sees. 
And God has brought the light into the world, so you have no excuse. And then it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Hell is uh, also a witness to the awfulness of sin. If, if we could just see sin from God's perspective, we, we would understand why hell exists. But we are so used to and have been born in sin, and because we're sinners by birth and by nature, it, it, it just, to us, seems like, hey, it's just part of what it is, but that's not how it is in God's economy, and God is very clear in his word about sin. Hell motivates us to evangelize. In light of what hell is, the finality of it, and what God has rescued us from and called us to, what are we doing? What are we, what are we preaching? Morality? Philosophy? Politics? People are going to hell for eternity. What are we spending our time doing? What are we telling people? How are we spending our time in a place that is passing away as we read in 1 John chapter 2? Hell assures us that all wrongs will be made right. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. God is perfect in all his ways. When, when God tells us, vengeance is mine. Like, don't repay. Let me worry about that. There has been things done to us, to others, that are so heinous, so hideous. Justice will not be served here, no matter what you do to the individual. But that's left in God's hands. So on one, one hand, we say, um, God, uh, I can't imagine that there's a hell. But, but then he says justice will be served. He says that I will repay, and he does that in a perfect way. And, and for those that are believers that have harmed us, because that happens too, God will correct them. And... and we should want God to correct them. But, you know, like so often, just like when you were a kid with, in the house with, with your siblings and something, they did something to you, you want them to really get it. But when it's your turn, you plead for mercy. So when it comes to our brothers and sisters, we, we pray that God would correct them in the same way he needs to correct us.
But when wickedness is, is done, and, and they are not God's children, he ultimately will determine how that's going to play out. We're not perfect. Our motives aren't pure a lot of times, but his are. And those books that he's talking about, those records are perfect. And it says in Romans chapter 11 and 33, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable his ways. The depth and riches of wisdom and knowledge. So, so when we think about this subject, and then we think about who God is and how he applies perfection to this situation, it should help us to be able to even when we think about hell and how terrible it is that some would go there, that God knows exactly what he's doing. But it should well acquaint us with sin and how we want that rooted out of our lives, that we want to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God Hates. We want to spend our time doing God's work for the loss. So we're not loving anyone to hell. So we are speaking the truth and love. So we aren't sidetracked in all of these other things that can occupy our time and our energy. But we are focused and recognizing that those that go there, that God is perfect. It says in Deuteronomy 33 and 4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. All wrongs will be made right. All his Ways are good, even his eternal justice. We see that in the parable that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 16. And starting in verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who had feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, 
Remember that in your lifetime, received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all that, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. For Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. When the reality came to this rich man, he wanted the truth to be exclaimed. And he wasn't a child of God. But he came to a place where he recognized truth, recognized the severity of hell. And he hasn't even been thrown into the lake of fire yet. What, where, where does that leave us? So often we aspire, if we were to pick, would you rather be this rich man? Or would you rather be Lazarus? But in eternity, look what happens. What, what, are we, what are we doing with our time? What are we doing when we speak to others and for the sake of political correctness refuse to speak truth and love? When to keep certain relationships, we just choose not to speak. Go along to get along. People are going to hell for eternity. Most of all, understanding hell, that it's a real place. And it should motivate us to have such a compassion for the loss. We need to recognize the grace and mercy in our own lives that God has extended to us. See, when we don't really understand the bad news, then we don't understand the extent of the good news. See, because we refuse to talk about hell, we don't recognize what we're being saved from. We don't recognize what God has done. But as we see a clearer picture that this is the eternal destiny for some, and who are we but those that God 
knocked and opened our eyes. Been so patient and long-suffering and loving with. So when we hear about mercy getting relief from things that we are owed, we are owed the wages of sin. When we think about God's grace and his goodness, Jesus spoke about hell because it's the fate that awaits all people that are apart from him. Because of Adam's sin and because of our own sin, we're all guilty. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that's good. And it's our just reward. It's what we deserve. It's eternal punishment. Hell is, hell is not a place that people are sent to because they're especially bad. It's actually our default destination. We get on the other side of that, and who do we think we are? No, it was all God. It's, it's where we were going. We needed a Savior. We needed someone to rescue us. As we stand condemned, what are we saved from? Saved from the wrath of God. We're saved by God, and we're saved from God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He took hell so we don't have to. Paid that debt with his, with his blood. It, 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 it helps us to understand the length that God went through to save us when we even start to talk about hell and how horrible that is. His, his nail-scarred hands... makes him worthy that we would trust him. So, so even when we think of something like hell, and that there's a reality that people are going there, and we think of what Jesus did, so we wouldn't go there. But then we get on the other side of that to safety. What are you doing? You're safely on the boat. There's space on the boat. There's other people going down. We're crossing our legs and our arms. Talking about I need more space. Heather, you can come up. We're left with, um, with two options. Stay in our state of depravity and be eternally punished. 
or submit to the Savior except his gift of redemption. People are so bound in their sin that they don't think about tomorrow because they think they have all the time in the world. It's God put us in that boat of safety calls us to reach out to be his mouthpiece, to be his hands, to be his feet. And some of us want to live on both sides. I want the, the benefit of that security of being on the boat. But I want to splash around in the water a little bit here and there. And then we wonder why we're in misery. Once you're secure in that boat, the enemy tries everything he can to keep your hands filled with other things so you don't have a free hand to reach out to somebody else. Getting lost in, in your job and, and all of these other things that will not matter. What did Jesus do in his ministry? He went to one person at a time. He met each one where they were. He hung out with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards. He said, I wasn't here for those are well, that are well. I'm here for those that are sick. What is the church called to do? We are the church as a family and as individuals. Each one of us positioned uniquely. We need to recognize what's at hand. Where the church doesn't even want to talk about hell anymore. When we uh, leave this service today, let's consider those things, what God has called us to as a body, as individuals, what God has saved us from. reconciled us to himself, called us to the ministry of reconciliation, pleading with others, be reconciled to God. Get right with God. That's what we spend our days doing, each one in different ways with the giftings that he gave us. Don't have your hands so full with things that are not going to satisfy, things that are not going to last. We should have such a joy in the good news of the gospel that we'd want to share that with everyone. He saved us from the coming wrath. It's coming. There are going to be those standing before the throne 
to be condemned and thrown into the lake of fire forever. And we won't be there when we stand before him covered by his blood. He's going to reward us for what we've done. But even in that, there are going to be some that just scrape into heaven because they got in the boat and they crossed their legs and folded their arms. Let that not be said of us. Let us have such a joy in being about the Lord's business, recognizing what he has done for us. That should be coming out in expressions in every part of who we are. With the church that he saved, that he died for. And we have an eternal destiny with him. There's one here this day. Maybe this is your day that God has opened your eyes to this truth. He wants to pull you into the boat. You're splashing around in the water, going down for the last time. You don't know it's our last day. It's going to take us down to the grave. When he calls us up from the grave and stand before him, if it is at the white throne judgment, there's no conversations to be had. When he opens that book and reads, it's going to be a picture-perfect scenario of all you've done and all you've said. And if you're not covered by the blood of Jesus and the price that he paid, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. And you're responsible for what you hear to act on it. If there's anyone here that is not secure in their relationship with God, we would love to pray for you. Let me tell you something. Walking an aisle doesn't save you. But the Bible says, if you declare me before men, I will declare you before my Father. It is making a declaration. God, I need to know you. I need to repent of my sins and be secure in your loving arms and be about your business. If that's you this day, I don't care how long you've been going to church. That's not going to do it. You have perfect attendance. This is about knowing the Savior. We'd love to pray with you if that's you and you are here this day. Just raise your hand. And we will pray with you. And God will continue to work show you who he is as you continually come before him day by day. If that's you, 
Raise your hand so we can pray with you. There's one online that hears this message. Please reach out to a believer called the church. We're going to pray for you right now. Would you all stand? We're also going to pray for one another. Father, we thank you that you rescued us. We pray for that one that you've pulled out of the water onto the boat this day, God. We thank you that your word has saving power. We ask that you would guide and direct we pray for those of us here that we would be so moved to reprioritize recognizing the grace and mercy that you've extended to us. And that was through someone that cared, someone that prayed, someone that spoke to us, someone that brought us to church, someone that gave us the good news. Let us be about your business, oh God. Let not a person here be deceived by whether they're in right standings with you. Because the Bible says that there will become some that will come to you and start to speak about what they've done in your name. And you will say to that one, Depart from me. I never knew you. Let each one of us search our hearts, Lord, being obedient to you because of the joy and love that you have placed in us, Lord, that we are so satisfied in you that we want to be led by you. Be glorified in your house, Lord, in each one of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that we are safe and secure in your arms. We ask that you would deepen our love and knowledge for you, Lord. And it would so motivate us to have a desire for the loss and recognize that everywhere we go and all that we do is to be unto you, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, and we thank you that your word says that we are sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is such a big thing, Lord, that wherever we are in our walk, you're still working. And every time we hear your word, Lord, you're doing something in us. Let us not be ones that just want to be on the receiving end. But we want to do all that you've called us to do. You are so good, Lord. You are so merciful and gracious, O oh God. Be glorified in each heart, Lord. 
and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.